You are listening to sermons from Church on Bayshore in Niceville, Florida. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who God created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. To learn more about our church and to find additional resources, including ways to connect, serve, and give, visit churchonbayshore.org. Pastor Justin and I had the privilege of leading our state uh, Baptist Pastors Conference this past week. Thank you uh, so much for your support and your prayers. And I just want you to know, church, that what God is doing through us in this small community on this corner uh, in that community is being recognized by many across our state and nation. And so uh, praise God for that. But the reason uh, that we're most grateful for what God is doing here is that it brings glory and honor and praise to his name who deserves it. If you are visiting with us today, we're so glad that you're here with us. We'd love to connect with you. We'd love to help you learn how you can get connected into the life of our church. When you make your way off campus this morning. There are welcome tables set up. Our team would love to meet you there and help you get connected. Or you can text the word connect to 850-600-6779. And our connect team will follow up with you this week. If you're joining us online this week, thank you so much for joining us. We'd also love to connect with you. You can do the same. Text that word connect to 850-600-6779. Before we get started with our sermon today, I want to remind you that Advent season is coming up, and this year, as a church, we are trying to focus uh, collectively on uh, this season and how meaningful it can be. So there will be more information coming out soon about a devotional guide that has been written by members of our church, 25 different members of our church, I believe, who participated in uh, that devotional guide. And so we'd encourage you to use that uh, to help you as you focus on Christ in the mornings. And then registration is available for our Christmas in a box that are activities for our families uh, to participate in as they focus in on the Christmas season. And we'll be doing that in conjunction with us going through the end of Ephesians chapter 6 as it talks about the armor of God and we understand the real spiritual battle that was won in the incarnation of Christ and how Christmas ties in uh, to all of that. But today we are starting the last chapter of Ephesians chapter 6. And we are continuing in our series, Clarity, as we look at instructions Paul gives on common relationships in their day. Today, we focus on parents and children. In the Greco-Roman world, children were not universally valued. Fathers were very disinterested in younger children and in younger girls almost completely. It was commonplace for the head of household, which might consist of extended family and slaves, to discard girls, to discard deformed children, or to discard excessive amounts of children, allowing them to die in the elements or to be taken as slaves or soldiers. While today laws are in place that have given more respect to children, we cannot say that our society is completely divorced from that mindset. Today, the typical family just has the means to chemically limit the number of children they have. And we know that many unwanted children are aborted in this country. And perhaps not in this community so much, but many fathers are absent from the lives of their children today, seen as either deadbeat dads or driven dads, depending on their income. And there seems to be a movement to allow the state to have the first rights and responsibility in the shaping of children. 
Along with this is also a shift in children respecting their parents. We've gone from the days of a parent saying jump and the child asking, good job, uh, to the child now asking, why? It is commonplace to see children talking back to their parents without fear of consequence. And many adult children taking excessive privileges and gifts from their parents while then blaming those same parents for all of their woes. Paul gives a list of the fruits of godlessness in Romans chapter 1 and again in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in both of those lists is disobedient to parents. Paul says, when humanity turns away from God who has created us and walks in foolishness and darkness, an aspect of that culture is the breakdown of family where children no longer live in honor, respect, and obedience. Our verses in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, introduce us to a code of conduct for the family relationship. Today, we will spend most of our time looking at four things that we learn from these verses. Then we'll talk somewhat quickly about some things that will always be at tension in parenting. And then I'm going to close with what I think is a helpful illustration. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I echo what has already been prayed asking for you to speak to us, for you to have your way in us. God, I pray that you would do a great work in families this morning and in individuals this morning and transform them, transform homes, neighborhoods, this church, communities, because of the power of your living word. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the audience that Paul is writing to are Christian families, People who are seeking the Lord together, being led by a, a, a husband mostly, a father who's seeking God. And I'll likely refer to this a few times because I recognize that the full application of this uh, is not as straightforward when you're in a home where not everyone is seeking God together. I, I, I grew up in a home where we weren't looking to the word for guidance and direction. I, I totally get that. And I also recognize that there's some of you who, your situation wasn't just people not looking for God. Your situation was bad, maybe abusive, maybe traumatic. And I just want to remind you of two passages of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, which we read a few months ago, where Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul says there that God is responsible for the family that you're placed in. God has assigned every person to the home in which they grew up in. Another passage is Romans 8, 28, when Paul says, and we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What we know is that God can use you, regardless of your background, regardless of the the feelings that this discussion even evokes to change the trajectory of your family, to change the trajectory of your life. And so be encouraged to seek God's will 
for your life and look to your heavenly father as the condition for your obedience and maybe not your earthly father. So the first lesson from this passage is this. Children should obey their parents. I'll say that again because I'm a dad. Children should obey their parents. I certainly thought I'd get some amens from our crowd here, even though we're kind of quiet. All right. So in verse one, Paul writes, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now notice that Paul addresses the children directly, which is significant in itself considering the culture. You see, Christianity is empowering and liberating for children. A lot of the movements over history that have liberated and protected children have been tied to Christian principles. And Paul addressing children here means that he has in mind children who can understand the teaching. He has no doubt in his mind children who are able to exercise their own free will, who are still home yet old enough to understand the instruction themselves. And it is significant as well that Paul mentions children and not just boys. Because as I've already referenced, girls in that day were often discarded. And especially in poor backgrounds. And women, girls, were not included in most formal education or schooling. There is an idea today, because we have a problem with the fact that the Bible speaks to God's design of men and women being different and them functioning in different roles. There is an idea today that Christianity is oppressive to women, but this is historically and geographically ignorant. Throughout history, Christianity has empowered women in settings in which they were devalued. It has given men the understanding that they are not superior to women, they are just different, and it has liberated women in many contexts. So Paul's writing to boys and girls, to children, and what does he say to children? He says, children, obey. The idea here is listen to authority and take the rightful action. Paul is using, once again, military language. He's saying, think about it in terms of rank and authority and submission to the authority in which God has placed Howard Hayner, a commentator, says the present imperative stresses that the obedience of children is an ongoing action. Paul is saying to be obedient is a mindset that children in Christian homes ought to have. It is a mentality that they ought to embrace to say, I am going to be obedient to my parents. Now, as I thought about this and thought about the possible reactions this morning, I thought about one of my favorite memes involving the late, great Kobe Bryant. And so I hope there's, you guys can go ahead and put that up on the screen. I hope there's none of this uh, going on this morning from the parents. But the reality is that if we are in a Christian home, when we are young, our parents represent the authority of God to us. In a way, our parents stand in for God for a time. We first learn to obey and submit to God by obeying and submitting to our parents. And we will likely follow this pattern with God. Think about it. Parents often say, trust me, I know better in this situation. And so much of our life lived for God is trusting that he knows better than we do. Our parents often will tell us to trust us because they're doing what's best for the whole family. 
And so much of God's will is not what's best for the individual, but what's best for the family of God. And our parents are often telling us, do what you're asked to do, instead of worrying about what others are doing all the time. And so much of Christian maturity is looking at what God has called you to do and who he has called you to be, instead of always blaming others and pointing the focus on others and judging others. You see, the question is, how can a child love and obey a God whom he has not seen if they won't love and obey their father and mother whom she has seen? Now, I know well God is better than me as a dad. God doesn't say to his children, okay, we can do this, and then get caught off guard by circumstances and have to go back on what he said that we could do. God doesn't get tired or hangry and act irrationally. God doesn't let something happen, then realize he doesn't like what's happening, overreact to that for about a month, and then go back to letting things be the way they were before. But imperfect parents and all, there is a character shaping that is taking place here. Tony Marita says, a child that does not grow up to honor and respect their parents will likely not honor and respect others in general. I see this played out as a pastor. Children who do not grow up respecting and obeying their parents will likely struggle with the concept of authority and consequences for our actions. Children who do not grow up respecting and obeying their parents will likely struggle to respect the opinions of other people. And they will struggle to do their job and carry out their role in marriage and work and church and wherever it may be. Children, God is using this relationship to shape your heart. And if you are a believer, you are being led by the Lord. And the call on your life is to live in a way that is pleasing to God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says something similar. And he says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Paul is emphasizing that the fact that the child's obedience, love, and respect for his parents' authority is in the awareness that the parents' authority is divinely delegated. A child is not called to obey his parent because his parent has everything figured out. We don't have everything figured out. If you've ever heard the illustration that, you know, you're doing something and it's like building the plane as you fly, that's parenting. We are up in the air and we realize we don't have enough fuel. And we have to get fueled up someone so somebody better come in and, and give us some fuel. And we're aware we don't know how to land this thing. And we're going to have to land this parenting journey at some point. And people keep using the bathroom. If you know, you know. And you don't know until you're a parent. You don't. You aren't called to obey your parents because they, were all, they are always on form and do everything correctly. If you are trying to figure out if we are on form and have it figured out and do everything correctly, I'll tell you this. We don't. We don't have it figured out. This, for you, child in a Christian home, is about the way that God has designed the family relationship. And it is about trusting him. We have a lot of children, including you teenagers in this, who you've been baptized 
You've professed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, you said you're not living for yourself anymore. You said you're living for Jesus now. You said he's the Lord. And so just like in marriage, we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, you're obeying your parents out of honor of Christ because he deserves it, because it's God's call in your life. You are called to obey your parents, not all parents or all people. Jesus and your parents have probably told you to respect others, specifically adults, but not obey them. And they don't outrank your parents. You're called to obey your parents. It's how God has designed you to shape you into who he wants you to become. Now, this brings up a question I've heard asked often. Well, what about when you're older, when you're 18, when you're out of the house, do you still have to obey your parents? Well, by the time you leave your house, you are supposed to have shifted the authority of your parents to God. The Bible says a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. You are no longer under the authority. You have a new family unit, but you are called to honor them. Look at verse two. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, and I'll get to that in just a moment. So my second point, I would say, second lesson from this this morning is that while obeying our parents is a temporary imperative, honoring them is a permanent inclination. While obeying our parents is a temporary imperative, honoring them is a permanent inclination. This is important to God. In Israel, Honoring parents was so important that if you were to bring harm or shame on your parents, you could be killed. Exodus chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. I'm surprised more parents don't have that memorized and use that in their toolbox. <laughs> Let me share just a few thoughts about this. When it comes to money, your parents have invested a lot in you. You probably should listen to their advice about how you spend your money and the decisions you make. And if they're paying for everything right now, you should obey their advice. When it comes to dating, no one, if you have godly parents, no one knows you and loves you and is more concerned about your future than your parents, including you. When it comes to work, they know you. They've worked with people. Their advice is valuable. And when it comes to what God might be calling you to do, in the counsel of the multitude, there is safety. And, and, and I do know of adults who had a calling to the mission field and their parents tried to forbid them to go, even when they knew God was telling them to go because of worldly focus. So I'm aware of that. But think and value what your parents have to say about God's call in your life. Look, we know that even from the New Testament, that care of parents was important to the Christian community. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, if you read in the context there, that's the context of widows, and it's telling men they're to take care of their, wives, their mothers who are now widows, saying she's your responsibility. So your parents, when they're older, they're your their care is your responsibility. But here's some other ways that you can honor your parents. Number one, keep them involved in your lives. Call them 
No parent ever feels like they are consulted too much or invited in your life too much. Ask their opinion. They have the benefit of a lot of years and there's usually no one who knows you as intimately or cares for you as deeply as they do. And the counsel multitude their safety, but include them in that counsel. Or how about this one? Say thank you for the opportunities they've given you, for the things that they've paid for, for being there for you, for keeping you alive. That's not easy. For keeping you alive. And I know, listen, I feel like there's this movement towards, I didn't plan on saying this, towards people of a point of privilege of constantly not being grateful for the opportunities given by their parents. And I just think those are some of the things that can only be said from a gated community. And we haven't opened our eyes to the reality of the world around us. And we haven't looked around at how thankful we should be for the context in which we live. And in in this community, I would just say that there's a lot of opportunity and privilege that you're given and you need to be aware of that. And, and, And I know that in some cases there isn't a lot to be thankful for and honor our parents for. I've shared with our church before, my biological father and I, I mean, he, he pretty much had nothing to do with me after I was eight years old. We connected towards the end of his life. And in text, I tried to do my best to say, hey, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And I'm trying to honor you because I know there needs to be some kind of honor here. Look, God ties our health to this. Let me read verse three. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I take this to be of general encouragement since in the days of Israel, when there was humility and respect and obedience to parents, God protected them and prospered them. But when they forsook his laws and became arrogant and disrespectful and disobedient, he gave them over to their enemies. The point is not that every child who is obedient will live a long life free from suffering. The point is that God delights in obedience and gives special blessings to families and churches, and people where that kind of humility and respect and obedience are on display. It is wise, if you have a godly parent, to honor them. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 through 23 says this, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. What a blessing it is to be a part of a Christian home. What Paul is saying is that the reason obedience to these parents is to take place is not because the parent is infallible, but because the word of God is infallible. And the parent, within the framework of the Christian family is in service of God to their children and their future. This is the hope parents should have for their relationship with their children. Paul says something to parents to help facilitate that. And as Paul shifts his target audience to parents, so do we. The third lesson from this text this morning is don't provoke your children. Don't provoke your children. Verse four, fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger. I think this is applicable to both mothers and fathers, but since I'm preaching the text, I'm gonna focus mostly on the dads here. 
Dads, don't provoke your children to anger. What does he mean? He doesn't mean don't cross their will. He doesn't mean don't deny their desires. He doesn't mean don't discipline them. In fact, we need to show our children something great to live for that is beyond their natural inclinations so that when we do cross the will and we do deny their desires and we do discipline, it's because we are shaping them for God's purpose for their life. I think the anger Paul is referring to comes from a feeling that a parent's rules are petty or trivial or that the parent is being petty and trivial. And there will be tension here. You will mess up with this, parents. Apologies will be needed. But our aim here is that a child sees that the rules of the home and their consistent enforcement are connected to a great vision for their life and a great purpose to live for. I think the appropriate illustration is that they will be like young soldiers or athletes who may complain now and then about the toughness of the training, but would die any day with the captain or would do whatever whatever it takes from the coach because the cause is great. I heard another pastor say parents who don't see discipline as a part of some great vision of what their children might become for God will wind up using discipline to increase their own private comfort. Often when we provoke anger in our children, it is because we have shifted into behavior controlling, which is more about our convenience than it is their development. Gospel-centered discipline is less concerned with the controlling of the behavior and more concerned with the shaping of the heart. You cannot express the same level of passion and energy regarding these little behavior battles that you do about character choices. You can't have that same kind of intensity when they are tired and they act up and they quickly turn from little angels to Satan's henchmen. And it happens. You can't have that same kind of intensity when they don't quickly get behavioral things because you need to remember how long it takes you to learn a new skill. And when your children are annoying you, hey, kids, don't listen for a second, and they annoy us, parents, sorry. When they're annoying you, you can't forget what's really bothering you in that moment is not this thing of eternal great value. It's probably more about you and how you feel. Character and purpose is way more important than behavior because children will see how you act and they'll eventually become angry. And Colossians 3 verse 21 tells us discouraged. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And so we have to have this great vision for our children's life that they are pursuing Jesus And our parenting needs to revolve around that and our energy and passion needs to be most committed to that. Now, I know, I know that the generation that's a little, that's older than me, they kind of look at my generation and say, man, you let your kids have too much freedom and talk back. And and, and I receive that criticism on behalf of my generation. But the answer is not this mentality that has preceded me that was children are better to be seen and not heard. Because I love you, but we have an epidemic of Gen Xers who don't wanna have anything to do with God and church that is a lot tied to that. And I'm speaking to Christian families here. 
the desire here is to shepherd their hearts towards a passion for God and a love for God and that their beliefs and their identity will be what guides their behaviors. I'm not saying there isn't a need for behavior correction, but they're ultimately trying to point their hearts to the one that deserves their affection. And something I would encourage you in is, is to live out a mirror, a, a replica of James chapter 1, verse 5 to your children. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it tells us, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. What that text is telling us is that when a son or daughter of God doesn't have wisdom and they ask God, God gives them wisdom generously or liberally without finding fault. When your child comes to you for advice and direction, give it to them. It's not a time to make them feel the shame or the guilt. It's a time to help them because they're coming to you for help. Our desire is for them to pursue and be like Christ. Paul says something else here in our text that brings me to our last lesson here, and that's this. Nourish your child's soul. Verse four goes on to say, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That phrase, bring them up or cherish, maybe in your translation, is Greek word thalpo. And it means to keep warm or care for. It means to nourish. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse seven translates the same word. I'll read that to you now. Paul says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care, Thalpo, of her children. He's saying, he uses that word again, and it's saying, like a nursing mother and how she nourishes her child. There's this nurturing that is to take place, it says, to dads. Dads are to be nurturing. Not just to get them to like you with a purpose in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Those two words are synonymous. Other translations might use the word training for either one of them. They go together. Correction and information. Discipline and instruction. Like an athlete needs correction and needs information and training. Like a soldier needs discipline and needs the training. Like a student needs to be corrected and needs to be informed. That's what's happening as a parent. And the goal, the goal is that they're becoming like Christ. That's the aim of our discipline and instruction. In fact, we don't know a whole lot about Jesus's childhood, but Luke 2.52 tells us something that's really important. It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That, that's the aim here. They, their mind would get sharper their bodies would grow and flourish and they would learn how to live for God and live with people. So, so I think this is a tension that we're managing. And I just, I, I just wanna give five tensions here that I think we're gonna have to manage in parenting. And I wanna go through these quickly because I have to. The, the, the first is truth and love. You see, they're, they're on a seesaw there because it's, it's a balance and we're gonna have to, you know, we're gonna have to run to one, run to the other, stand in the middle trying to keep it balanced. But our children need to hear about the world 
and know that we love them through the challenges of this world. They need to hear the truth about themselves, their strengths and their weaknesses, and know that we love them through them. They need to hear the truth about their mistakes and know that we love them through them. And they need to know about sin and grace available to them. Truth and love. The second tension is church and home. Church and home. Uh, to define church, it's the community of believers that gather together according to the scriptures. People who say, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. You're a Christian, but you don't read the Bible then because you're called to be a part of a church. But, but you're responsible for your home. I mean, if you study spiritual awakenings, there's a radical commitment by the church to children. You see that happen in the Old Testament. You see that happen in the New Testament. You saw that happen in the Reformation. You saw that happen in the Great Awakening. You saw that happen in the Jesus movement about 50 years ago. And so we realize that God works in and through radical collective commitment to the next generation. If your primary influence of your child is their ball team or the band or the club they're a part of, you're not following the pattern prescribed and described for you in the Bible. Your primary community should be the church. But there is no way, no matter how good our children's and student minister could be, that we're gonna compensate as the church for the absence of instruction of children in our home. Dwayne Christian says, the continuity of faith within the context of a religious community depends on the observance of that faith within individual families. A shift has taken place where many Christian parents view the church as the primary teacher of their children. And churches who embrace this model compete with one another for the attention of children. And in many cases, focus heavily on programming that is entertaining more than it is scriptural. Not only is that a departure from the Bible and the teaching on family discipleship, it is counterproductive to the mission of the church. The greatest opportunity for children to adopt the beliefs of the church is through the example and the encouragement of their parents in discipleship. Another tension is presence and provision. We gotta provide for our family. We gotta take care of our, be with our family. I was reading a story about a guy who was very successful and he was asked, how did you become so successful? And he said, perhaps an honest moment, he said, I sacrificed my relationship with my children. Those words have haunted me ever since. Peter Kreef, the great Christian author, says the best book I ever wrote was the book I did not write when my children were young. My mentor, Kevin Cox, told me that some big dreams of yours need to wait until your children are no longer small. We desire quality time with our children and it is quantity time that leads to quality time. I'm mainly focusing on the dads, but women, you can work, you can be involved outside the home, but you're called to be homeward in your orientation. Your family is your first ministry. And there's debate on that today because we scroll Instagram more than we read the Bible. We are called to build our family and our house and our life and the, the Lord says in Psalm 127, verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We need to ensure that the foundation of our life and our family is Christ Jesus. And we need to provide. Number four, expectations and acceptance. There need to be expectations in our home and we still need to be accepting. 
Most of us are so afraid of a little resistance from our children that we set very small goals by the standards of our ancestors. Have them memorize Deuteronomy 6. Have them memorize a lot of scripture. Be intentional about that. People are like, well, they, my kid just can't learn it. Have you seen seventh grade math? I don't get it. My kids can get it. If they can get that, then they can read the Bible. Well, they don't want to do it. I'm preaching to our context right now. I don't hear you saying that about their school and their sports and their other things. Ah, they just don't want to, so I don't want to pressure them. No, in fact, sometimes you're trying to push them into that when they don't want to do it. I, I heard somebody say in a story one time about their kid. They said, well, she didn't come with a set of instructions. Christians, she did come with a set of instructions. Maybe you just haven't read them. Look to these things and let God use them in your life. Have high expectations for them and their growth and what God can do to them. But listen, they don't have to perform. They don't have to perform for you. The world is going to give them pressure and they need to feel they are always accepted at home. I'm not saying pretend like what they're doing is right all the time but they're always accepted. On the way down to Central Florida last week, I asked Christy to listen to a leadership book, so she did that with me on the way down there. And so to return the favor on the way back, she asked me to listen to Britney Spears' autobiography with her. <laughs> and I zoned out through a lot of it, but one thing that just struck me, she said this. She said, I had the approval of 50 million fans, but all I wanted was the approval of my parents. I say to my children often, especially when they're in trouble, nothing you will ever do will ever make me stop loving you. Our children need to feel that. Last one, the role of prophet, priest, and king. This is us as a parent. We're a prophet, we're a priest, and a king. God, Jesus filled the role of prophet, priest, and king. Prophet declares the word of truth and judgment that will come. The priest you can confess to and the king rules. Uh, you're kind of bouncing back and forth between those. I've heard it said that when you're little, you're the king. When they're a teenager and young adult, you're the prophet. And you're like, if you do that, this is going to happen. And then the goal would be that when they're an adult, you're the priest. And you need to realize those are three aspects of your relationship with them that you need to try and live out. In closing, I'll just say this. The very last phrase of this passage is of the Lord. This is where there is no balance. The goal is for our children to leave our home having been immersed in the person and ways of Christ. The discipline and instruction of the Lord takes its cues from the Lord Jesus who lived and died to glorify his father in heaven. No father here should do less and our calling as dads and moms is to exhibit the glory of the fatherhood of God. And there should be no compromise in that. I remember in premarital counseling with Christy, we were talking about our parents, and I remember her saying this. When I think of God as a heavenly father, I've never had to think hard because of the way that my dad loved me. May that be said of us. I, I want to close with an illustration here just to show you what we're trying to do. And I'm going to ask Nate, my son Nate, Nathaniel, Nathan, whatever he goes by to whoever, uh, to come up and yeah, you guys can clap for him. That's fine. So, <laughs> okay. 
so parenting is like, let's get in the light because they can't see us on online. Um, so parenting is like having this rope, right? And so we're going to, when they're little, we're wrapping them around them, right? I mean, we're holding on to them, right? Because they, they'll go somewhere else. Anyway, so we're holding on to them tight, right? But as they get older, and you can kind of walk down there, what's happening is, you know, that starts to loosen, there starts to be some slack, but you still got this rope, and sometimes you want to smack them with it, especially when they're teenagers. Uh, but anyway, and it just keeps going as they get to be older and older and older until they get out of the house and they drop the rope. The reality is they're not holding on to the rope anymore because they don't need to hold on to the rope anymore. And as a parent, your goal is to, to foster a relationship and you're starting now wherever you are in your season of life and you're continuing it to as they go, you're just constantly bringing this rope closer and closer, close to them so that if they go off the cliff, right, they can grab it. They can grab it and they know they always can hold on to what comes from right here. But listen, listen to me, and this is important. If we're not anchored in Christ and we're anchored in acceptance and approval of the world, the culture is gonna pull them in some direction. And as they pull, you can pull. We're gonna come right there with them. But if we are anchored in Christ, if we are rooted in him, if he is tied around us, then when they pull that way, we're not going anywhere. And we're gonna help them, even if they wander and they stray, to be within a rope's grip from the love and the power of Jesus Christ. That's the call, parents. That's what God wants to do in our life. So again, I know we're on time. So if you got to go somewhere, serve in children's ministry, beat everybody to Ruby Tuesdays, you can go ahead and go. But I just want to move into a time of response here before we sing together. And so I just ask out of respect that you bow your head and close your eyes. You can slip out now, by the way. Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but I, I just, I'm sure there's somebody in here that your family, when you think about all this, it feels like a little bit of a heavy burden. You're not living this out. But you want to. Jesus said, come to me who all, who all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is not burdensome. This is something God wants to carry for you. And so if you're here today, and maybe as a dad, as a mom, maybe you're a single mom, you just need to say, God, carry me. Ground me in you. Father, I pray that those who sense this need to just depend on you, God, would cling to you, Lord. Maybe it's gonna involve some corrections, some confessions, some apologies, but help them to soften their heart towards their perfect heavenly father. Maybe there's someone in here who's a child, whether it's in their home or they've grown and they've realized, man, I really didn't obey, I didn't honor. I just pray that your spirit would strengthen them to go to their parents and say, I'm sorry. And I pray that their parents would receive that 
God, bring healing, bring reconciliation. God, I can confidently ask this because I know your desire. You want to transform lives in this room. You want to transform homes. You want to transform this church. You want to transform our neighborhoods. You want to transform our community. You want to transform the world. And so God, may people emboldened by your love and your power say, Jesus, have your way in this important area of my life. And God, if there's anyone in here who the reason they're empty when it comes to being a dad, when it comes to being a mom, is because they don't know your love. God, I pray that through your spirit, they would see how powerful and mighty and strong you are, that you are holy, that they do fall short. And that in the cross of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God was satisfied that the mercy of God is available and that the rope is right beside them to to grab a hold of and experience the solid foundation of Christ Jesus in their life. And I pray that they would reach out to you now. God, pour your spirit on your people in Jesus' name, amen.